This is the Nebraska Greats, a weekly podcast as a service to the Nebraska Greats Foundation, which serves former collegiate athletes facing medical needs and financial challenges. Your tax-deductible contribution will change the life of a former college sports hero. Please give online at negreats.org. And now, here's your host, Corey McEwen. Welcome, 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 Nebraska Greats Foundation podcast. This is the third best host of the group, Corey McEwen. I have to say that because Jim Rose made me. And we have a very big celebrity guest, big in the terms of his Husker career, big in his NFL career, and big as how long he can drive the ball off the tee, Mr. Matt Slauson. Mr. Matt, how are you today? I'm doing great, Corey. Appreciate you having me on. It's uh, it's always an honor to talk to you. Um, I feel like we make it a point to talk every other day, whether it's on the course, on the phone, <laughs> enjoying a couple be- be- beverages um, af- after the golf. Um, but uh, I always enjoy our time. Thanks for just saying a couple for our younger <laughs> listeners out there. And it That's was right. really difficult for me to say how long you had drive the ball and hurt my ego a little bit. It's okay. I'm feeling better already. Uh, one of our Firethorn legends now. I mean, we just got done with a big golf tournament, the Quest out there. You dominated. How did you feel about your first Quest experience out there at Firethorn? Oh, I, I had an absolute blast, and I appreciate you pumping me up. Um, the term dominated is being used very loosely here. I will say I was very, very pleased with my play on the first day. Second and third day got a little side, sideways. But, uh, but either way, it was an absolute blast. Loved it. Um, you know, I'm going to make a huge effort to play in that event every single year. Well, and the reason I bring it up is we started a pretty interesting and dynamic conversation with some of our brothers out there just talking about Euro line days when playing. And I made a pretty bold statement. And I said in 2006, you know, granted, if Chris Patrick comes back and doesn't leave the team. I still think we, that's one of the most dominant O-lines that we've ever had in Nebraska. And before anybody from the 90s jumps into my, my, my inbox and is DMing me cuss words, let me, let, me, let me preface this conversation, Slots. So we were talking about going down the line in terms of that roster, not just ended up being good, but who would have contributed that year. And, and for the people listening that don't remember, this is a hell of an O-line. We've got you, Matt Slauson, and you were left tackle at the time, if I remember correctly, right? That's before you ever moved uh, no, interior. I, no, I was right, right tackle. Um, Carl Nix was left. Carl, Carl Nix had just came in. He was at left. Uh, we had Kurt, Kurt Mann starting at center. He ended up uh, getting sick in the middle of the year, so Brett Byford took over for the second half of the year. But either way, both of those, those two at center were studs. Um, and, uh, and at guards, uh, uh, I think Greg Austin was at left in, in 06 and, uh, yep. That's and right. Andy, Andy Christensen, I think was at right. Uh, and you've got Mike Huff rotating in. Yep. He, Mike he was Huff. a solid player. He had light and Murtha on that roster yep. who was rotating yep. in here and there. And yep. I mean, if you look at man, I mean, Keith Mann coming off the year before was, a, I think, either honorable mention or second team all Big 12. So he had a pretty successful mm-hmm. year the year before. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't get sick, 
I mean, you're talking about, I mean, that's not even including the younger guys on the roster at the time that ended up getting more PT once you big boys left. But I'm just so, I mean, you look at the, the our national championship teams and we just had a lot of talent. We had a lot of good players. But if you look at the overall, you know, just success in college and then success in the pros, this Ross, this low line has got to be up there. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to play a decade in the NFL. Uh, Lydon Murtha played four or five years and he was, he was a draft drafted offensive lineman. Uh, you know, Carl, Carl Nix, unfortunately his pro career was cut, cut short due to, uh, due to an infection uh, after an operation he had, but uh, you know, he was, during his time, he was the most dominant guard in the NFL um, and ended up getting rewarded as such, being the highest paid guard in the history of the league. And unfortunately, yes. he only played another year year or two after that. But, you know, he was an incredible, incredible player. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, getting back to your main main point, point here, uh, you know, comparing offensive lines throughout the decades, I think it's tough because, you, you know, as you know, back in the 90s, uh, the way the offense was structured was completely different. You know, the game plans, a completely different style of football. You know, when Callahan came in, he wanted to to re, redo everything, take us to a pro pro style offense. So so he needed his offensive lineman huge you know, huge to protect and also huge to move, to move bodies out of the way. Whereas, you know, back in the nineties, like I said, I, I'm not taking anything away, away from those guys. Those guys were absolute savages, but yes. the offensive line back then, they were a bunch of rot, rottweilers. I mean, they were just <laughs> running all over the place, biting at ankles, tearing out kneecaps, Achilles. I mean, they were just savages. Um, so completely different style of ball, uh, you know, in 06, um, you know, we, we had a lot of fun. We were able to move a lot of people out of the way, a lot of really good, good players. You know, and you, I threw Chris Patrick's name out there, and that's not a name that gets brought up a lot. He came in in my recruiting class in 2003 as a D-lineman, and they moved him to the O-lineman side of the ball to give you guys some more depth. Ended up being pretty good. You go back and you watch that crazy game in the Alamo Bowl in, what, 2005? He comes in, yeah. has a great game. He had a great tail end of that season. And he exited the team. But even he had some more success in the NFL as well. I mean, he had some yeah. few years there. Yeah, so you're looking he played at four, four, four years. You know, he, he kept getting put on practice squad. But then, you know, somebody would get hurt. And and he went up playing and contributing and and doing well and and to his good good for, fortune he was playing playing for a great organization the Green Green Bay Packers so they were going to playoffs. Wish I could agree with you on that statement. But I keep going, Sloss. <laughs> hey hey man, I don't know if you can see my video here, but I got my Bears. You got the Bears uh, helmet. I love yeah, it. I got my that's uh, that's the Ed Block Award. I I was fortunate enough to win while I was there. Um, so I'm also a great, great, big, big bear bears fan, but I also have tremendous respect for the Pat, Pat Packers too. I think, uh, how their organization operates is, is awesome. I wish they would pull their heads out of their 
rear ends about this Aaron Rodgers issue, but whatever. <laughs> That's another another topic, another day. If I ever turn down that amount of money in a contract, Slauson, just take a four iron right to my head <laughs> because I probably deserve it. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, when we were having this conversation back at Firethorn, I mean, I had to bring up some other interesting points, like you said, you know, talking about the difference of game plan, you know, being more uh, di- more than two dimensional. And you've got to be able to pass block, you got to pull, you got to do a lot of different stuff in, you know, a pro style offense. But the other thing that I brought up, is the tight end help because you look back at those two tight end sets, sometimes three tight end sets um, back in the nineties when we were really crushing the ball down people's throats and you got help on those outside with those big boys. And then you transition yeah, they were essentially like, tackles back. Then. Exactly. And then, but you transition to like the Matt Hurian type players of the world where you're receiving tight ends or they, don't, you don't get that same kind of help on the line. You know, those, the, the chips are barely a chip you know, trying to get those defensive ends some help, you know, they're just, they're just high fiving that DN on the way to try and go catch a touchdown, leaving you to do all the work. Right. So, right. It's yeah, a different remember, dynamic of game. Go I remember our, our, our offensive line line coach telling us back in college, uh, he said, look, so we're calling these chips and bangs and thumps and all that. But if you get beat, cause you're expecting a big old, a big old chip, I'm going to be really mad at you. Cause don't expect to be getting a real chip. All right. You just block him straight, straight up. All right. <laughs> I was like, all right. You know, I, that makes sense to me. And you know, I, I like in the NFL now, you know, they're giving the big guys some chances to catch some touchdowns or giving D lineman chances to catch the touchdowns. They're trying to get those guys some more love, you know, saying, Hey, normally Gronk, we'd go to you on this, but we're going to put our backup left tackle out there and he's going to catch a touchdown. I love seeing that stuff in the pros now. We need to see it more. And I oh, know yeah. you're going to agree with me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, I, I, I was always jealous. You, you know, I was fortunate enough to take over the starting role early in my NFL career. But I was always so jealous when the backup, backup tackle would, would come in and play jumbo tight, tight end on the goal line. They just slip them out really quick for a little pop pass. I'm like, gosh. Can you move? Can you move me out there? I mean, I'm athletic enough to start in the NFL. All right, so I feel like I can catch the ball. <laughs> That's but at what the they same, say. but at the same time, I had so much tape and braces and stuff all over my hands and wrists. I mean, I feel like I'd be trying to catch the ball holding two bricks. So maybe it wouldn't have been been great. Well, you know, that's what our defensive coaches, our linebacker coach, our, our D coordinators, our secondary coaches used to say, because, you know, you see that on the film from like an Iowa State, from any team that you play, that they slip a lineman out there to catch a ball. They always said, hey, take a look at their gloves. Did they switch their gloves? Are they wearing receiving gloves? You think Ooh. I've got enough damn time to check every O-lineman's gloves oh, every yeah. time he comes out onto the field? If that, well, if a guy wearing number 76 is going to catch a touchdown, he's gonna, he's earned it, you know? It's interesting you say, say that because so many, so many coaches I had, um, you know, throughout the years would talk about, you know, balanced stance and not cheating a stance based on what uh, direction you're going to pull or, uh, or if you're going to pin you know, to not give anything away in your stance. I'm like, coach, coach, are you kidding me here? These are defensive players. They ain't that bright. All right. They ain't going to see if my right, <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> right, right, right foot is, is pointed out 
another degree or, you know, my stagger, instead of a four inch stagger, I have a two inch, like they aren't going to see any of that. Are you kidding me? So it's interesting. You say your coach, your coaches on, on your side, were telling you to look, look for all those little minute things. You know, if you, if you didn't see it on the film and the film during the week, you weren't going to see it on the game field, just how yep. it worked. And if you can identify it early, it's something to watch for, but you're thinking of 10,000 other things. So when you got an O-lineman that's really showing something like that, it's rare, especially if they're a good player like you were. You know, it, you, you can't really identify that play to play. It's tough. Yeah. And if you can, you're the Barrett Roods of the world that play in the league for nine, 10 years. So, yeah, de- defensive player of the year, what, three, three times, two times, yeah, three stud. times? I don't know. Whatever it was, it was a lot. And he was incredible. So you played a lot of games in the Husker uniform. What sticks out as your favorite game, your favorite experience, your favorite win from all those years? Oh my goodness. I had so, I had so many of them. Uh, you know, my first start true, true freshman year at uh, Nebraska 2005. Um, after we get throttled by Kansas down in Lawrence, uh, then I take over the starting job. Uh, not because I was better than the guy, because unfortunately the guy ahead of me, he got hurt um, and he was going to be done, done for the year. Um, <clears throat> so I took over the deal. Kansas State was come, coming into town and we rushed for, I don't know how, how many yards. It felt like, felt like a thousand yards, but, uh, but I'm sure it was like two, 200, 220 or so. Um, so that, that was uh a very important win for me in my first start. And then, um, you know, the same year you already brought it up, the Alamo bowl win over Michigan. That was huge, uh, exciting game, real, real nail, nail biter at the end there. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that, that one was big. And then of course, beating, beating Colorado at home with Alex Henry's massive, whatever it was, 56 yard field field, Field goal. Yes. I think that was uh, that was that was oh seven, I believe. Yep, that was uh, 08. 08. 08. Because we, you. yeah, that's right. That was a, just a massive. I remember coming back for that game. That was just a nail biter right to the end. That and the Alamo Bowl. Thank you, Zach Bowman. I thank him every time I see him for running down that ball at the end of yeah. the, the Alamo Bowl. Every time I see him, I thank him. I think I have it like as a reminder in my calendar on my iPhone here. It's Zach Bowman Day. Text him. I, you mentioned the Colorado. I'll I'll never forget you wearing the Colorado Buffalo looking coat. Oh yeah, yep. And it and with your size, I thought there was an actual buffalo in the locker room. I was frightened for a second there. But Sloss yeah, Daddy, I, he, he he. Where did you get this coat? And I yeah. mean, did you kill an actual buffalo and shave it right <laughs> off their back? Well, on that night, I killed a whole bunch of buffaloes. Uh, in the game, but, uh, no, I had a good, good buddy and, uh, their dad was a taxidermist. So, so he had actually shot a Buffalo and he made that jacket and he made a, and he made a hat. Um, and he, he wanted me to wear it, uh, for the Colorado game as like a good, a good omen. And then he also, um, Years ago, somebody somebody had a uh, had a grizzly bear that they wanted taxidermied, and um, and then they ended up not not picking it up or something. 
whatever. So he ended up making a necklace out of the claws. So I was wearing, I was wearing the claws around my neck and then the Buffalo hide hide coat and, uh, and the Buffalo head head hat, just looking like a complete idiot, but, but it was fun. Well, you know, that whole week, I, I think back on it, you coming in the locker wearing that we had the restore the order shirts made. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so we wore these shirts saying, you know, Colorado, they're just not, they're just not in our category. And they'd creeped up thinking that they can compete with us in years past. And we had had enough of it. So we had these shirts made named called restore the order. We wore them under our pads. And then, you know, traditionally we see a lot of more healthy meals leading up to game time. Coach Callahan, the staff, they put, remember they put Buffalo wings down on the buffet mm-hmm. and it looked like, 53 hyenas jumping on those things and tearing them apart on our team, just destroying Buffalo wings the night before the game. I can't remember how many toilets were in that Colorado locker room, but I felt bad for them. That's damn sure. Yeah, that was good. That, that game we came out, remember they tried to start the fight before the game. And then at the end of the game, I mean, it was just wild from week start to weekend. They met us at midfield and we're trying to start a fight. And then they stopped the game and kicked the entire student section out of the game for right. chucking beers at us. Yeah, I mean, we were we were dominating them so so bad they just started throwing all their trash on the field. Yeah, I forgot about that. I mean, when, when, that was awesome. When you talk football and you talk ups and downs, wins and losses, and people don't really understand how much of a mentality you have to have going into a game to beat them, whether they're a better team than you, a worse team than you because we had certainly lost to teams that weren't as talented as us or as good as us. And that game, I, I felt like if we had that kind of buildup before any game, there, we would have been untouchable because we mm-hmm. had everyone was locked in. Everyone from start to finish that week wanted to win. They did everything from scout team to special teams to the starters putting into extra gear. And then you go on the road, hostile environment, and you play so well, you play so hard that you get their student section kicked out that's how I would like to finish every game in my career. You know, it's hard when a lot of schools like Kansas state and Iowa state, they don't even have a student section. Oops. All right. I'll get a DM <laughs> on that one. <laughs> no, you know, call college football, some, something else, man, the atmosphere, the, the passion of the fans, um, you know, something, something you don't get, get in the NFL for the mo- mo- most part. There are teams that do have, college-like atmospheres when you're talking about a Kansas City or Green Green Bay. Um, but still, no, nothing compares to, to an atmosphere like uh, Nebraska fans. And, and when you're going over to Boulder to play and you see the majority of the stadium is, is red, I mean, that is an incredible feeling. And it is loud, louder for the home, home team than it, is, uh, than it is for the away team. That is incredible. It's, it's always impressive. And it was, I mean, as someone and you and I being knowledgeable of Nebraska's program, but not being a part of it growing up, like a lot of the kids we play with coming in and seeing it firsthand, it's really quite breathtaking. And, you know, I want to get back to it. We had a weird year with COVID. We've got a brand new schedule. We got a guys that could come back, even though they, they, they spent their time at the university, they have an opportunity to come back. We saw a lot of guys decide to do that. And that's just a testament to how great our program, our tradition, and truly the fans are. And man, I, I'm hoping COVID coming out of it with everything going on in college football this year with the changes with the NIL 
and the NCAA that we're still going to fill that stadium. We're still going to fill our competitor's stadium and we're going to win some damn games this year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. We, we need it. The fans need it. Um, you know, and we got some excitement now this week, this, I guess, last week of, uh, you know, hire, hiring a new AD. I think that that spark sparks excitement, sparks op- optimism. And, uh, and hopefully we think, uh, you know, we can get this thing turn, turned around pretty quick. That's right. And, and Trev Albers, what a, what a perfect fit. You know, you know, outside of completely shutting down UNO's football program, just a <laughs> tremendous success. We're going we're gonna to leave that off the resume. Uh, but yep. we're, besides that, what a, he's got the tradition. He understands the people of Nebraska. He understands the tradition of this program and just continue with Coach Frost to move this thing forward. And uh, I'm thinking, what, seven, seven, eight wins, no problem. And then real close games on the on the others next season. What's what do you think of for your predictions, Lost? Well, well, you know I'm a I'm a guy of the trenches here, so it's all going to come come down to the O line and the D D, D line. Um, you know, the O line can they move? Can they move the line of scrimmage forward? Can they move men out of the way? And uh, the D line can they stop the line from from being moved? So I'm not going to get into predictions and all that until I see, you know, the first, the first couple games, what are these lines doing? Are they moving guys and are they stopping guys? That's true. And, you know, we might have to have uh, that, that guy, Mark Slauson, that just looks just like you maybe have to put the pads on. We got to check the eligibility sheets, maybe get you yeah. down in there, Co- either playing or coaching. I'll take either, but you know, yeah, I, I think I feel uh, like I have a little eligibility left somewhere. I don't think I could do it. I think I'd get out there thinking, okay, I worked out for two days. Maybe I could do this and then just get run over by someone like you and just go, okay, hospital time. How fast can the stretcher get out here? Do we even have stretchers? Get the gator out here. Oh my gosh. I, I would just, just now knowing, knowing what I know about the game and the the structure of defenses and how defenses have to play based on, you know, offensive sets and all that. Uh, if I just had my senior year back again, uh, yeah. and I feel like I feel like my senior year was a really good year year for for me. You know that was uh, that was Pelini's first first year taking over as the head coach, and yep. uh, you know we had a successful year. We beat Clemson in the Gator Bowl. Um, uh, I felt like it was a really good good year. But if I could have that year back again, uh, hopefully with the same body that I had in two thousand and eight. But with with my twenty twenty one mind behind it, man, I feel like it it, it could be something else. It could oh, be something it'd be, else. It'd, it'd be unstoppable. I mean, you Nebraska Greats Foundation for this podcast, they're a group, an organization that helps guys, you know, like us who get out of the sport, play to the university, get banged up down the road and need some assistance paying for that. I mean, you've had injuries over the years both in college and in the pros. And now you're out there, you're hitting the golf course, you're, you're translating all that golf, that football mentality into golf. How, how does that stack up? Do you keep the competitive juices going on the golf course? Are you in a bowling league, some sand volleyball? What are you doing to keep those juices flowing? Besides, oh, no, take, com- besides taking my money on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, com- 
competition wise, you know, every, everything I do in life, I try to compete. Um, you know, I try to win, whether it's working out, if I'm, if I'm jumping on the, the exercise bike, I'm trying to, you know, beat, beat my wife's numbers or, you know, trying to beat, uh, you know, it's that Peloton deal. So you can see what everybody else else does. Uh, so I'm always competing there. Uh, but outside of work, working out, it's, 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 it's golf. You know, I, I have become a little bit obsessed with, with golf and, um, you know, I'm it, golf is a crazy sport where you, you are, uh, much like football, you are striving constantly to achieve perfection, full well, knowing you will never achieve it. Um, but you know, it's a lot of fun. You and I go out there and we start gam gambling some, some money, having a heck of a time. And one of us is going to come out of there feeling pretty bad. And then, and then the rematch will be set <laughs> for the next day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel bad because of the score, not because of the money. You know, you see the, <laughs> you see the nine, the nine creep up on the front end of the score and it just kind of gets you in the gut a little bit, you know? But yeah, you know, we're, we're, I was actually fortunate enough to uh, get a phone call from Zach, Zach Potter over the weekend. And he invited me up uh, to champions run up in Omaha to play. We went and played yes, yes, yesterday. And I actually played, played one of my better rounds. And unfortunately I was playing with a group of guys who were all really, really good. So the money didn't quite work out how I hoped. I need to see the strokes on the card. I need the strokes on the card. If you're going to tell yeah. me about a time you hit a 76 and I'm sitting here looking and playing you straight up. I am not going to be comfortable from the first tee yeah. to the last, but I, so, I, there's no bad bet in my mind, buddy. I'll take the best either way. They were, they were giving me three strokes and That's Potter it. shot a 75 and Alex Henry shot a 76. I don't understand how you big guys can shoot such low scores, but are you looking, are you using like, boat paddles for your golf clubs i mean how does that work your your well, head's well, touching the sky and you're you're trying to hit a ball that's sitting you know a half an inch off the ground in the grass well zach has been golfing since he was a little kid and he's got he's got two two inch extensions in his clubs um you know because he's you know six seven and a half or whatever whatever he is so you know he's a real real tall tall dude but man his his swing is so so nice but the more impressive thing about his his game is his chipping and put putting man he just wrecked me oh my gosh so he's got good hands and power that's just not fair yeah i will say i was out driving him all day i was out driving them all all day that's great. and and i was playing from the fair, fairway all day where they weren't but <laughs> But the, the golf short. gods might listen to this podcast, so you better be careful what no, you say. You'll be catching nothing but fescue next week. He made up for it. I mean, the short game, the short game he had was just awesome. Go. Oh, that's that's always the most impressive thing to me. Like you, you, people that can uh, get around the greens and work them just like that. You know, that takes time and practice and. Yeah, that's just something I need to get better at. It's just committing more time to it. So instead of a 91, I could hit a 90. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sloss, I can't thank you enough, buddy, for jumping on with us and, you know, supporting Nebraska Greats Foundation and, and, and people that uh, get received the benefit from this group truly are thankful. And we appreciate everyone that helps. Hey, man, I'll see you out there. Let's double the bets next time. 
and uh, go Big Red, huh? That's right. Go Big Red. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, buddy. This has been Nebraska Greats, a weekly podcast serving the Nebraska Greats Foundation. You can find each episode on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Play, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Please give generously to serve Nebraska's former sports heroes in need at anygreats.org. And be sure to follow the Any Greats on Facebook and Twitter.